Come on in. We're going to get started. It's good to see you this morning. My name is Stephen Sable, one of the pastors here at Redeemer. We're excited uh, to be with you guys this morning. We're going to study God's Word together right now. We're going to get into our next to last Sunday in the book of Ecclesiastes. Can you believe it? How has the book of Ecclesiastes been for you this summer? Has it been useful? For me, I've, I've found that Ecclesiastes has been the quickest from like new ideas and theory and theology into my life changing. Has anyone had that experience? It seems really useful to me, so I've loved that about it. Um, but today we are, this is kind of like the magnum opus moment for Solomon as the writer of Ecclesiastes, and it's pretty intense. Just to give you a heads up, we're going to be diving into the vanity of death under the sun. So all life ends up in the grave under the sun. Um, but before we do that, let me pray for us, and then we'll dive in. Pray with me. Jesus, thank you for this time to come together uh, before you in worship. God, we, we just declare that we are your creation, uh, that we, we have been made by you to bear your image. And in the tension of life that we walk through from today until the day that we die, we, we look to you for hope and for meaning and for purpose um, as we walk under the sun in this tension of uh, life. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen. Okay, so I want to start with something that I think would be fun. I, I believe that we have the ability, all of us, to predict the answer to a, to a very specific question of every other person in this room. What do you guys think? Are you, are you down to try at least? Okay, so here's the plan. I'm going to ask you a question, and then when you hear the question, keep your answer to yourself. I'll count to three, and then we'll all say that answer at the same time. And then we'll see if you're right. Does that work? Okay, you ready? Here's the question. What do you want to hear first, the good news or the bad news? Ready? Three, two, one. And if you said good news, you knew that you were going to say bad news, and you're like, okay, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to say good news, right? Isn't that interesting? Why do we do that? Okay, so today Solomon's going to talk about the bad news. Here's the bad news. You ready? You're dying. It's true no matter where you're at in life. If you were just born yesterday, and, and the sobering thing too as well is that we don't know what tomorrow is or even if we will have a tomorrow, we are all on the way to death. It's intense. And Solomon seems to kind of get that rhythm backwards because he's going to start today with the good news and then go to the bad news, which kind of almost completely nullifies the good news, which is kind of why we want to know the bad news. First. Okay, give me some context. I want to know how bad the bad news is so I can know what the good news and if it's really good news or not. You know, um, but the universally bad news for us is that we are dying, right? So my bad news this week is I, next Saturday, turn 37 years old. And according to sociological research, the average uh, day of death for a male in the United States of America is 74 and a half years of age. So I am at the pinnacle of, li of life and vitality, and it's all downhill from here, so to speak. So in view of that trauma, next Saturday, if you want to give me a gift, go, go for it. That's your day. <laughs> uh, okay, so I, I haven't experienced some of the downhillness as maybe some of y'all who are my senior have, but there, there's a reality that when you're born, everything is optimistic and you're, and you're looking forward to life. Your body is strong. You have hopes and dreams. And then at a certain point, some of those dreams have to stop. Some of those painful things have to become reality. I remember a couple months ago, a friend of mine 
told me, I just realized that I'll never be an Olympic gymnast. Because that was a dream that she had for her whole life. And she's like, oh, that has to, that has to not happen. Huh, okay. It, and so for, for me, it's like, the biggest one for me recently has been references. Like, uh, was Alex and I this past week were talking about an apple dumpling gang thing. And then it was alluded to that in another thing. And it was like, okay, we got the thing. And, and then I was, later that day, I was texting my friend. And he's like, my family is freaking out because they met Mac Powell. Does anybody know who Mac Powell is? He's like lead singer for this CCM band. Yeah, third day, big in the, in the 90s. And I was like, well, he's like the Eddie Vedder of like CCM in the 90s. And then I was like, do you know who Eddie Vedder is? And he's like, no. I'm like, do you know Pearl Jam? No, no, right. Okay. So, so there's a natural like tension between getting older and then like experiencing this, this physical delay, uh, decay or this um, relational decay. There's, there's tension in that. Um, and we, we know this. It's, I mean, in all fun, we've been talking about some like goofy things about being young and being old. But wherever you're at in life, maybe, 30, maybe 37 feels old to you. Maybe 37 seems young to you. Maybe it seems pretty close to where you're at. At some point or another, we all have to square up with this tension that you are dying. To put a point on it, our bodies are decaying. Maybe, maybe you experience chronic pain every morning when you wake up. Maybe that pain is taking away your ability to enjoy hobbies or things that you have cherished being able to do for a really long time. Maybe you've recently had unexpected health complications or diagnoses, or maybe someone in your family has recently, and so the outlook that you had for your life has radically shifted, and that's been really difficult. Maybe you've, maybe you've been injured physically because of, you know, work environment or, or sports or accidents, and now you're disabled in a capacity where some dreams have had to change because you physically cannot do what you used to be able to do. Maybe you've experienced loss, like sincere death in your family. Maybe a loved one, your, your spouse or a parent or a child has died, and you've had to wrestle with the scope of the rest of your time on earth as someone who has been bereaved of a, of a loved one. It's really significant and difficult. Maybe in addition to physical death, you've experienced some relational death. Dreams fail. Marriages end. There's tension in our families. Maybe your relationship with your father is not great. Maybe your, your daughter and you cannot relate anymore because of strife or sin or disagreement, and that's like the death of that relationship for you, and it's grievous. We've had friends that betray us. Maybe even in the church, you've experienced the harm of someone who you've entrusted the fine china of your life to, and they've abandoned you or they betrayed you and you're not in a relationship anymore and the devastation that occurs when that when that happens is death so in the tension of the moment the, the question for me at least emerges that I think a lot of us wrestle with how can we live when we're dying there's just a natural innate tension to this our souls grind with agony at the state of death and decay under the sun Deep within our designed memory is this rightness, the goodness of eternal life that we all carry within us from our exile, from the Garden of Eden, this application of the curse that took the perfect things and corrupted them. This devastation that launched at the fall when our great-grandparents sinned and the curse entered into creation started a generational toil that every human knows that death is the enemy of life. 
Paul goes as far as writing to the church in Corinth that in Adam all die. We're living in the pedigree of death. We've been complicit in it. We've been victims of it. We've been culprits in it because of sin and rebellion and disobedience to God's goodwill. In Genesis 3, 16, it says this. God said, sorry, excuse me, Genesis 2, 16. And the Lord commanded the man, saying, You may surely eat of every tree in the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. So God is not the God of the dead that he declared over us in the consequence of Adam and Eve's participation in sin and disobeying God's good word, but he's the God of the living. And so there's this innate tension that we experience as image bearers, our pre-fallen design to live, eternity set in our hearts, the memory of the joy of Eden is in tension, is in dissonance, is in distortion with death. We're simultaneously dying and alive. And so because of that, we naturally cannot accept the dissonance. I don't know if you've ever tried to do the fatalistic thing, but it just doesn't, it doesn't work. We're not, we know somewhere deep inside of us that things are not the way that they were meant to be. So then it comes back to that question again. What are we supposed to do? How can we live? How can we be people of life while we're dying? And so this is where we enter into the scripture this morning. Uh, if you have a Bible, I'd love to encourage you to go to Ecclesiastes 11. We're going to start in verse Seven, but the big idea of what Solomon wants us to land on is this, to rejoice and remember before it's too late. Let me get there myself. In other words, seize the day because the night is coming. Rejoice and remember before it's too late. Let's read it together. Light is sweet, and it is pleasant for the eyes to see the sun. So if a person lives many years let him rejoice in them all, but let him remember that the days of darkness will be many. All that comes is vanity. If you have a Bible that you own, I'd love to encourage you to underline or circle uh, five words in, that, in those two verses. The word light, the word rejoice, the word remember, the word darkness, and the word vanity. It's kind of like an outline statement for what Solomon's going to walk us through in the upcoming verses uh, this section of scripture is extremely poetic, and there's some beautiful imagery that we're going to navigate through. And I just want to kind of give us a sneak peek as we dive into the rest of it. So light is sweet, and it's pleasant for the eyes to see the sun is a picture of a day. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The world was formless and, and void, and the Spirit of God hovered over the waters. And in verse 3 of chapter 1 of Genesis, and God said, let there be light. And there was light. And God saw that light was good. And God separated the light from the darkness. So this idea of light in verse 7, light is sweet, is the beginning of a life. This is a typified picture of, okay, the dawn occurs, the sun comes over the horizon, the life of a human has started, and it's going to go. And in the tenure of that life, it's going to rise to that pinnacle where the noon happens and then it's going to start to decline and then eventually colors shoot across the sky from the sunset as the sun touches the horizon and then the sun goes below the earth and, and the human passes away there's death so this is uses a picture of human life i don't know if you saw this morning there was a great sunrise for whatever reason god's providence i'm driving here to the building and there's like a rainbow in the sky, it, sincerely from red at the bottom all the way through the gambit 
um, of hope in the morning. Like today is the day that we have life and hope. And we're, you're here in this room. You're hearing the words coming out of uh, the, the communicator's mouths. And, and you're hearing the music with your ears. And so today is day for us. We, we are alive. Um, when we lived in Washington State, uh, there's so much glory in God's creation through mountains and rivers and all these things. But the flip side of the coin is that it rains all the time. If you've heard that, I'm sure you know that Seattle is like this rainy, typified place. Well, it's true. Uh, about two years ago when we were there, I, b- I believe it was roughly from October 1 to May 1, there was only a week's worth of days of full sunlight. So either partly cloudy or completely overcast and, and or rain for eight months out of the year or whatever. It's pretty intense. So to the point where people, uh, medical professionals have come up with this thing they call sad seasonal affective disorder, where if you don't have enough vitamin D, if you don't see the sun enough, you naturally uh, decline into depression because light is good and it's good for the soul to see the sun, right? So in this idea of light here, there's just our big picture for how to rejoice and remember before it's too late. Today is a day where you are alive and you're existing somewhere in that arc of life from dawn to dusk. So Solomon, let's go forward now. Solomon charges us first to rejoice. So there's this idea of rejoicing. Remember, we we underline light and then rejoice. Let's put that next slide up on the screen, please. Uh, So it says rejoice. We're going to rejoice and use our opportunities to enjoy life to the fullest. Let's start reading in. In the next verse down, verse 9, so it says, Rejoice, O young man, in your youth, and let your heart cheer you in the days of your youth. Walk in the ways of your heart and the sight of your eyes, but know that for all these things, God will bring you into judgment. So we're alive. We're trying to answer the question how to live when we know that we're dying. You have youth, you have vitality, you have life, and we're supposed to rejoice in it. So we've heard this a little bit in earlier chapters, but this idea of like seize the day, kind of a carpe diem, use your opportunities to enjoy the good things that God has given to us. Um, I I have it in my mind, kids on a playground, there's not like a melancholy, uh, shoegazy kid on the the playground normally. Kids are just bubbly and there's laughing and and if there's crying, it's because somebody did something wrong, but then they go back really quickly to laughing. We're, We're made like God's kids to enjoy life. Uh, with the, I'm sure the antithesis of, of the playground is the cubicle. I don't know if you cry in your cubicle. Cubicles are designed to bring fake light in, isolate you from people, and destroy your soul. <laughs> okay, so now let's amplify it. Is anybody a shipyard worker on the night shift and have a cubicle? Like the belly of the beast might be shipyard cubicleisms, right? We're, we're it's supposed to enjoy life to the fullest. And there's an interesting tension in this text, because if if you were a believer, you would know that the heart is deceitful above all things, Jeremiah says. And so how am I, as a Christian, supposed to believe these words that say, let your heart cheer you, walk in the ways of your heart and the side of your eyes? So this is like a wonderful picture that's so helpful for us to understand the heart of our Father in heaven. God desires to give us the desires of our heart. And in, under the curse, because of sin embedded in that, we tend to go towards atrophy and sin and bend inward selfishly. But if we seek Jesus, if we follow God's commands, he will show us, he will redeem us, he'll regenerate our desires and point us in a direction that will be very satisfying in this life. And so the idea here is like, seek wise counsel, seek, seek the Lord when you make decisions about your life. But ultimately, if God is blessing you and he's giving you openness and people are like, yeah, you could choose that. You could go to UVA or you could go to tech or, or whatever it is. 
you can choose. There's, a, there's an image-bearing, creative thing when we, at peace with God, guard our hearts with his word, seek wise counsel, and trust that God is good and he's going to bless us so you're, we're not paralyzed by, oh, I don't know what God's will is for me. In some cases, God's will very specifically is for us to follow our hearts that have been guided by his word and just choose stuff that's going to be fun. You know, like there's a, there's a enjoy life embedded into this idea of following your heart. Um, but that's not left without counsel either for danger. So uh, the idea of letting purity of heart guide your heart because the judgment is come, uh, will come at the end of time is also here. So we see that. Uh, remember where I'm at. But know that for all these things, God will bring you into judgment. The judgment there is like the idea of the end of time judgment. And again, this isn't like a, a, a condemning God, a punishing God without justice. So if you're in Christ, he received that punishment for you. But it's also like an optimistic like place for you to gain uh, reward from the Lord. So, you know, Jesus t- says at the end of time, we'll be judged for the things that we do and we don't do. And if you do things that honor Jesus, preach the gospel, there's reward for that. And so the idea here, um, I'm going to reference 2 Timothy 2, is this idea of just guarding your heart for purity um, it's a means of opportunity for us to be rewarded or make recompense. And so flee from youthful passions and pursue righteousness along with those who call along the Lord from a pure heart. So rejoice by taking the opportunities that God gives you. Guard your heart with this word. Seek a pure heart. And then just choose, like bring wise counsel in and enjoy that. You, we bring glory to God by enjoying his creation is the idea there. Uh, okay, so the next transitioning, next um, we also don't want to waste our opportunities by seeking meaning in vanity. So what does that mean? Let's read the next section of verses. It says, remove vexation from your heart and put away pain from your body, for youth and the dawn of life are vanity. So vexation means like annoyance or anxiety or worry. Uh, we, we learned last week that we don't know what's going to happen. We, we cannot seek out. We, you can... You can make good choices. You can come to conclusions through evidence. But there's not a future-telling ability for any human so that if you worry or if you're anxious about what will come tomorrow in a sinful way, you're allowing that to stifle your ability to enjoy uh, the life that God has given you. Um, I, I have this I had this wonderful encounter this week in the Word and in study that Embedded in this under-the-sun reality is that Genesis 3 knowledge of good and evil issue. So that, so that for me, it looked like this. My self-reliant ability to understand things can never bring me meaning, can never satisfy my existence. So the knowledge of, the good, and e- of good and evil that we, that we now have gives us, like, we, have, we can judge, we can make good decisions, we can think about things, we can be scientists, we can study creation. But in that studying, in that knowledge seeking, in that assessing, there's never an eternal satisfaction that can be achieved. And, and if you do go down that path, like if you ever met a, a happy philosopher, it's like a contradiction, a very, very well-read professor or even theologian some, at times end up being bitter or pessimistic, hopeless, because they know there's no achievable meaning in life under the sun, using the faculties of, of the knowledge of good and evil. Eventually, this can look like depression, self-harm, and suicide, because sinful anxiety adds vexation to the heart, Solomon would say, and it's a wasting of an opportunity to enjoy the life by seeking meaning in vanity. 
This can also look like sinful indulgence. So self-reliance is just a trap, man. I think for all of us, we just are, are tempted in different personalities to do the same thing. So some of us, when we realize that there's no meaning under the sun, our, our knee-jerk instead of is like a bulldog, I'm going to figure out what it is, it's self-indulgence to cope or to, to, to find um, self-affirmation through through pain. Sometimes we afflict pain on ourselves because we think that's the purpose of life through our own understanding. So some of us are stoics. Some of us like go to every inch to make sure that no tragedy can happen to us. We have a bank account. We have security system. Uh, back in the day, cell phones would go off in sermons. Now your ring alarm goes off in, in sermons. Have you ever heard that? The wind chimes. Somebody's near your house because you're, you know, we do stuff to try to secure our lives so to make sure that no harm can come to us, but that's self-indulgent. It's not, it's not God-fearing. It brings anxiety into our hearts. Uh, some of us are obsessed with our health or our beauty or our wellness. We're seeking to preserve that which cannot be preserved. None of these things are, are evil things necessarily, but good things make for bad gods, and they certainly are not a way of enjoying God's creation. Some of us cope. Some of us ignore the consequences of of self-indulgent lifestyles. There's like, in my mind, there's soft drugs and hard drugs. Soft drugs look like hobbies, entertainment, food and drink, careers, cars, sports, homes. Stupid choices like tons of coffee and, and Red Bull. You know, there, we, we will impact our body in ways to come that will be harmful. So if you impact your, if you, if you bring evil into your body when you're younger, when you're older, it's only going to amplify that pain and that, that difficulty, your ability to I enjoy pleasure. Here's just a really quick application. I feel like I'm already reaping this, so here's my uh, foolishness. If you're younger than me, or if you're not, whatever, even, you can take this lesson and not do this, because it's going to reap for me, I think, in the future. This is my life for the past 10 years. Does anybody else do this? Like this? Like right here, for me. When I wake up in the morning, I do this. I, like, stretch it out and have to do that. Watch out. I mean, I'm, I'm not trying to prophesy pain on you, but, but that there is a impact of us seeking meaning. Man, like, there's an infinite amount of knowledge in a phone, and we're, like, obsessed with the false light that comes out of it, hoping to make sense of it. And look at the impact, even on our physical bodies. We're a demonstration of this, this vanity. It's just a caution. Like, please, just be, be wise, you know? So soft drugs and hard drugs. Hard drugs look like substance abuse, sexual immorality, violence, rage, theft. When we realize that our days are short, if we believe the lie of Satan, we do awful things to try to enjoy and cope and ignore and hide from the death that is impending that's coming for us all. So even though these difficulties and pains of life are sincere, Solomon is warning us to run from sinful anxiety and indulgence and instead to trust that God is good and to rejoice in what he has provided us under the sun. Uh, recently, I've been digging back into uh, John Foreman's like solo music. I don't know if you know John Foreman. He's a, he's a lead singer of the band Switchfoot, and, and they still make music. But in addition to that band, he has a solo project that he does different stuff with. Uh, and there's this one song that I love that just, he, he's like an Ecclesiastes dude. If, you like, if you've enjoyed this series and you want like an art form to, to dive into it, grab his solo music. Uh, and there's a song where he writes this. Life is like a gift, like fresh cut roses, cut from the branch and brought inside. It's a slow contradiction, this beauty in a vase. 
when the cords are cut or when we start to die. I was like, this is a great summary. You know, in many ways, art does a better job of communicating these things than, than prose. Um, so as we transition out of enjoyment, we're going to wrestle with this before and after idea because Solomon just uses the words of youth or the dawn of life to describe our, our days, like the place that we have opportunity to enjoy creation and God's design. But then there's a, there's a tipping point. There's a before and after. Maybe it's 37 or maybe it's significantly older. Um, but let's read this together in verse 1 of chapter 12. It says, Remember also your creator in the days of your youth, before the evil days come and the years draw near, of which you will say, I have no pleasure in them. So here in the text, Solomon is transitioning. He wants us to examine the end of vitality, and he's using this word before as kind of a, a key word that we circled earlier to help us understand that the days of youth are limited. Before is a deadline. My parents are traveling this summer, and if they're watching online right now, how's it going? <laughs> because they're traveling. Uh, my dad sent me a text the other day, and he's like, oh, man, Judah, my oldest son, Judah, who's about to turn 11, he's grown like six inches in the past year. There's a, there's a limit to you. There's a tenure that expires. There's a chronological location in time that's maybe esoteric, but it exists where we can look backwards at least and say, oh, I was young, and now I'm not, or I'm young now, and I'm not yet old. And so Solomon is helping us start to understand the context of what it means to be in that after. So let's, let's keep reading. Let's go to verse 2, and we'll go through verse 7. This section is a huge chunk of poetry. It's beautiful. Let's read it once, and then we'll come back and start to dive into parts of it. So verse 2, before the sun and the light and the moon and the stars are darkened and the clouds return after the day. In the day when the keepers of the house tremble and the strong men are bent and the grinders cease because they are few, and those who look through the windows are dimmed, and the doors on the street are shut. When the sound of the grinding is low, and one rises up at the sound of a bird, and all the daughters of song are brought low. They are afraid also of what is high, and the terrors are in the, and terrors are in the way. The almond tree blossoms, the grasshopper drags itself along, and desire fails, because man is going to his eternal home, and the mourners go about the streets." Before the silver cord is snapped, or the golden bowl is broken, or the pitcher is shattered at the fountain, or the wheel broken at the cistern, and the dust returns to the earth as it was, and the spirit returns to God who gave it. So it's a poem, and poetically we're given this context of what after looks like, to be able to, from which, consider the rejoicing and the remembering of the before time. These are the days of darkness and pain, dereliction. They do not, in these days, we're not experiencing the pleasure that God has designed for life, primarily because, as we'll see, the yielding of our youthful bodies to age, specifically the waning and the failing of our physical capabilities and faculties. There, it's interesting, if you can call back to that very first word we circled, the light. In this picture, this first verse we're reading right here in verse 2, the sun and the light and the moon and the stars are darkened. So this is the contrast, right? We, we have vitality and hope and optimism through youth and light, and then now things are starting to fade. Things are becoming darker, and that's the context for where we're going to start to study and, and, and re realize what Solomon's talking about in our bodies as they decay. And in my mind, this, this story that he's using, it's all metaphor that he's pointing to. Um, it's like a World War II occupied, you know, 
town that's been devastated through bombing or you know there's there's military on site and people are hiding behind doors because they, they don't want to die or maybe the clouds black and because of the soot of weaponry going off there's danger everywhere there's few people people are, aren't going out in town they're they're not risking grinding even food because the, the noise might attract attract attention to them and they might experience harm rejoice and remember before it's too late so this idea, let's just, I'm going to quickly go through some of these metaphors just for you guys to encounter them. There, there's not like a, an allegorical meaning for most of this stuff, but it's just helpful to understand the poetry. And so we'll walk through that right now. So in verse three, the keepers of the house tremble and strong men are bent. That probably refers to your body, your muscles and, and your neurology causing you to shake in old age. Maybe you know people that struggle to walk and, and they're bent over like this, or they have to work with a cane or, or a tool because their muscles and their, like I said, their neutrons firing are doing a great job and there's consequences to that. Grinders cease because they are few, probably teeth. When you get older, your teeth fail, maybe you have dentures or they fall out and you have to change your diet and you can't enjoy the pleasures of food and drink like you used to. Those who look through the windows are dimmed. Your eyesight goes as with age. The doors of the street are shut and the sound of the grinding is low and one rises up at the sound of a bird and all the daughters of song are brought low. Your hearing fades with age. They are, also, they are afraid also of what is high and terrors are in the way. Most people, if they can, when they are older, want to live in a one-story home. Like I mentioned earlier, where you're, you're losing control of your body's movement, there is danger in stairs. So heights are dangerous. In the way probably means like the roads and out in public. Over time, as people age, they tend to reclude into a, a private lifestyle because they're vulnerable. If a strong person came and wanted to Take your stuff. You couldn't fight them off because you're weaker than them. Um, the next time you drive and you're behind someone who looks like they may be your senior and you're frustrated with the way they drive, just consider their point of view. It might be pretty difficult for them to drive. The almond tree blossoms. Almond trees bloom uh, white flowers in the spring. This probably refers to a crown of wisdom, like white hair on your head when you get older. The grasshopper drags itself along. Grasshopper is a sprite, lively insect. You know, if you try to catch a grasshopper, maybe you go find one this week and try to catch them. They can jump equivalent of what a human jumping a football field's length in ratio to their, the size of their body. So a grasshopper dragging itself along is supposed to be like this super antithetical picture of energy and, and ability just being gone. You, you run out of gas in the tank. You, got, you, know, you don't have energy to enjoy the world. Uh, desire failing likely hurt, uh, alludes to human sexuality, where as you get older, either you're not able to participate in that or you're not interested in that. And then finally, because man is going to his eternal home and the mourners go about the streets. Let's try to quickly go through this next couple of verses. Before the silver cord is snapped, the golden bowl is broken, the pitcher is shattered, the wheel is broken at the cistern. Those are probably all connected to like, think about a well, there's a core, there's a bucket, and you're winding up the water. Water is a symbol of life, especially in the Bible, but all throughout culture, because without water, nothing can live. And so if the system to get water and to retain water breaks, life can't exist. 
The golden bowl could be an allusion to your head or your mind, your brain. Uh, the silver cord could be your spine, could be your nervous system. Uh, the pitcher shattering at the fountain and the wheel breaking in the system probably are your lungs and your heart failing. If you can't produce the general functions of your body, your body dies. And so this section is transitioning from decay to death. And then finally, dust returns to the earth as it was in the spirit, returns to God, going back to the creation of Adam, being the man of dust who God formed in the dirt and then breathed his life into him to animate his body. It's intense, right? It's not, it's not light reading. It's, it's heavy-handed for sure. Rejoice and remember before it's too late. So how do we remember? We remember by worshiping the creator for providing the enjoyment of life. So we remember the curse and we believe that God is good and gracious. We express gratitude for God's provision. And this is done mostly through enjoying the days of our youth and the days that we have with a thankful heart. We also remember by submitting to our creator's plan for vanity under the sun. So this final verse, verse 8 says, Vanity of vanity, says the preacher, all is vanity. In the context of the book of Ecclesiastes, this is an Ecclesio bookmark at the end of it, where he's saying everything I've said inside of this whole book is a picture of vanity under the sun. And then very specifically, I, I would argue that this vanity of vanities here is like, man, death in contrast to life is vanity. Life just goes. This is the, this is the pinnacle of the meaningless, meaninglessness of life as I'm burying my spouse or, or my child. So remember, by submitting to God's plan of vanity under the sun looks like rejecting seeking satisfaction in this world through created things and instead seeking satisfaction in God. We have to resign our desire to know and grasp meaning under the sun. Psalm 42, 11 says, Why are you downcast, O my soul? Why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him my salvation and my God. St. Augustine puts it like this in his confessions. Thou hast made us for thyself. Our heart is restless until it rests in thee. So fundamentally, this is like a worship issue. This is a worship problem for us. In life, we will have trouble, but if devastations draw us to sin instead of worship, that's a place of an idol where we might be fleeing from God's desire to call us to himself as the rescuer, as the meaning maker, as the peace giver. So when we remember, it's a, it's a way to worship. To remember is to worship in light of it all. Because life that yields to death is passing like a breath, we should rejoice and remember before it's too late. But one thing still remains in tension with this under the sun wisdom. The vanity of this life shows us our need for a savior. So all morning in this front worship set, we're singing about Jesus. We're singing about the day of, of God, right? Jesus redeems us from the vanity of death. Like, that, that's the big idea here. The good news to Solomon's bad news, and, and, and don't think that Solomon doesn't know the good news, but Solomon's putting the bad news in front of us so that we need the good news. Because what is good news without bad news, right? We really do need a rescue, a savior. And Jesus Christ redeems us from the vanity of death. A greater Solomon has come. Do you remember that from the Gospels? Under the sun, life yields to death, but Christ's death yields life for us once and for all. The wisdom of God is to deal with death by killing Jesus on the cross in our place for our sin. 
Jesus is the man from above the Son who humbled himself and came under the Son to be able to sympathize with us in our weaknesses, to be a faithful high priest who can mediate for us and do God's work of mediating the forgiveness of sin and to be able to atone for that sin by punishing himself, by being punished for the curse, by suffering for us on the cross. So how can we live when we're dying? Man, let Jesus Christ redeem you from death. If you hear his voice today, don't harden your heart. If you're, not a, if you're not a believer, just know this. The God of the universe knows your suffering. He knows your pain. He entered into creation. He became a man and experienced the fullness of meaningless vanity under the sun. And not just for some pithy, distant, you know, guruism. Jesus Christ became a man to suffer so he, could so he could identify with you, so that he could achieve salvation for you. Do you know what that means? It means like all, all of those problems that we noted earlier, death in your family, the loss of the dreams, this tension of like, why do people die, has to be dealt with. And Jesus Christ died so that you don't have to. If you don't know the Lord, just know that his character is this. He's the Lord, the Lord slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. He gives forgiveness of sin. He gives meaning because he became vanity so we could have meaning. Jesus Christ loves you. Give your life to him today. Be saved by the power of Jesus' resurrected body, which we will receive as well as in, in addition to the Holy Spirit calling us sons. For, for us that are believers, let Jesus Christ redeem your rejoicing and remembering before it's too late. Don't waste your life. We are the light of the world, Jesus said. So when we bear the image of the God-man who died and came back to life again, we proclaim the gospel. The grave has been defeated because vanity under the sun has been redeemed. We can proclaim the gospel in remembering Jesus, the one who has made us new, a new creation. So we were created once and we've been created new in Christ so that we can rejoice in the spirit that we have life over death today. All our meaningless activity that we do. If you're older, live like you're young because you are eternally in Christ. Days will never end, forever. We'll have newness of joy. And if you're young, your life is a vapor. But guess what? So is the old man. He has been crucified with Christ and the new man lives in Jesus. And we get to be gospel proclaimers when we live totally differently in this world. When we see suffering, when we experience death, we, we, we in the hubris of life, weep because it's painful, but we don't weep like those who have no hope because Jesus Christ died and he didn't stay dead. He rose and we will rise with him. Isn't that right? Praise God. I'd love to invite the band to come up as we close. I'm just going to read 1 Corinthians 15, the end of the chapter for us. It's powerful stuff. God is so good. Listen to this. Maybe just close your eyes and let the gospel wash over you. So it is with the resurrection of the dead. What is sown imperishable is raised imperishable. What is sown in dishonor is raised in glory. What's sown in weakness is raised in power, and what is sown in a natural body will be raised in a spiritual body. So if there is a natural body, there is also a spiritual body. I have hope in that today, church. If there is a natural body, which we all know, and the tension of vanity under the sun that doesn't make sense because also eternity has been set in our hearts under the sun, then there is also a spiritual body that we hope in. This is written, the first man, Adam, became a living being and the last Adam became a life-giving spirit. 
But it is not the spiritual that is first, but the natural and then the spiritual. The first man was from earth, Adam a man of dust, and the second man is from heaven. As was the man of dust, so also are those who are of the dust, and as is the man of heaven. So also are those who are of heaven, just as we have borne the image of the man of dust, so shall we bear the image of the man of heaven. When the perishable puts on imperishable, and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Christ has died and death has been swallowed up in victory. And so we worship God. We rejoice in our days. We remember our creator and we proclaim Jesus as we walk. Let's pray together as we close. Heavenly Father, we just give you all the glory for revealing your plan for, for salvation to us. God, we mourn for the death that we see around us. God, we are like creation groaning under captivity for the time, desiring to be released so that we might live in the fullness of life, that we might see the glory of the revealing of the sons of God. But God, we also rest in assurance and confidence in your grace and in your plan so that our lives on earth might have meaning. As you say in the end of, of this section in, 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 in 1 Corinthians, our labor is not vanity. Lord, make us steadfast, make us immovable. Give us faith to believe and to commit to worshiping you by rejoicing in the goodness and removing vexation and foolishness from our heart and, and remembering you before it's too late. Again, person that, that hears the voice of the Lord today, it's not too late. Give your life to Jesus. Become a Christian and worship him today. Receive the Spirit. We love you, Father. Thank you for this wisdom. Help us to understand. Help us to follow. Help us to, to preach your gospel with our lives. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.